Everyone talks about these companies. We talk with them. Welcome to Insider Talks, the show where we interview China-based professionals on hot and thought-provoking topics. Hello, everyone. I'm Matthew David, the founder of Dasha Consulting, and joining me today is Yuard Makov. You are the managing director, APEC of Fiber. Fiber. Maybe people, a lot of people, might not know it when they listen to us, but they might actually have interacted with Fiber if they are gamers. And according to the document I could see from Fiber. Half of the planet, uh, 2.5 billion among mobile users, are gamers, and mostly women, by the way. More than 60% are women, according to, to the report uh, Fiber has published. So to, to summarize it, um, Fiber is aimed at, aims at being the leading independent and primary monetization platform for app publishers. So. Yeah, you are going to tell me if I'm right, but I will try to get it simple for people listening to us. You develop an app, uh, a game, um, and um, you want to monetize. You want to earn money with this game. You have different ways of doing that. You can ask people to pay for this game, but usually it doesn't work. You can have freemium, premium. Usually it works out. And you can have advertisement, which is always working when you have traffic. And this is where you work. It's on the monetization through advertisement. And then we go a bit more in details. When you want to use advertisement within your app, you can either use what we call the waterfall. That means you first try to find your own advertisement, advertisers, and then you would go through premium, premium, premium uh, advertisers and so on and so on to try to monetize a maximum. Or you use uh, in-app advertisement uh, from Fiber, where advertisers would bid on your banners um, or uh, as a video as well um, to get the best time, the best segment within your app. And that's for the advertisers, but for the um, app publishers, it would be the best monetization where they could make, uh, make uh, 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 the best money, basically. And you are here, you're working here to make this happen to maximize the monetization through the advertisement of your app. So I try to, to explain in my own word. Hopefully people uh, understand uh, what I've just said. What would you say? Would you say my explanation is correct? What would you change? No, it's, 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 it's correct. And, and first of all, thank you for having me. Um, I, I would say that from a personal point of view, I'm, I'm so used to discussing our products with industry insiders that it was a bit of a challenge for me to prepare something that would be easier for things to for, for to, to explain to people who don't um, who haven't actually been industry insiders in the past. So I, I will make my best attempt, and please forgive me if I am being a bit confusing. I, I'll, I'll help. I'll make. I'll do my best to clarify if that is indeed the case. In in short, uh, Fiber connects app developers to advertisers. Advertisers being either brand advertisers, right, like Toyota or Gucci, um, or uh, what we would call performance advertisers, which are advertisers who are looking for a user to engage in some sort of action within the ad, whether it is to fill in a survey or to download an app. The ad can be Candy Crush as well, so an app can be in both sides of the value chain. 
Uh, Fiber is what you would call a programmatic player within this ecosystem. In other words, we do not, we do not um, create offline deals. We do not, you know, directly sell volume. We do not have a sales team. We act as a programmatic online marketplace between uh, around 15,000 app developers and 180 advertising platforms that they themselves are connected to tens of thousands of ads and advertisers. And in this open marketplace, the ads can engage with the users algorithmically. Now, our, uh, our, um, what, what we aim to do is from the publisher point of view, and when we say publisher, we mean app developer, we aim to maximize their revenue and allow their content to remain free. Because as you mentioned before, a publisher has a number of ways to generate revenue with their apps. They either charge the user for some subscription or download fee or in-app purchase, or they serve the user ads instead. Now, from the advertiser point of view, our goal is to maximize both yield and scale and allow the advertiser to engage best uh, with, with the users that they wish to engage with. Our focus is on in-app. Uh, we don't run on, on web and definitely we don't run on offline or billboards because that's impossible for now. And, um, and uh, within it, our key growth engine is uh, in-app gaming which is, as you said, a very fast-growing segment, majority of which are women, which people sometimes don't know that. Um, and I'd say that would probably be as short a summary as I can provide on our company. Thanks. When you say in-app gaming, you, uh, I'm, I'm suddenly a bit confused. Do you say that uh, you, your vertical, the vertical you are aiming at is um, uh, app, de app developers in the gaming industry, or you are game you are working on the gamification function within the app. So, so we actually work with game app developers. So, okay, if you look at it this way, um, companies like Zynga and Jam City and EA Sports, they all have um, gaming apps. These can be hardcore RPG games, or they can be casual games like Solitaire or Sudoku or word games. Um, and especially within the casual game segment where the in-app purchase function is relatively small and apps tend to be free, this is where app developers actually require um, serving ads to users in order to survive, in order to uh, finance their continued operation. I see. So. To, to give a perspective to the people listening to us, uh, in the app industry, you have games, but you also have utilities in order to manage your own battery, your contact, and so on, on your phone. Uh, and you could have a messaging app and so on, as we know, but you have different categories. And within the gaming, uh, with the gaming ga game uh, vertical, you also have sub-segments, like you say, casual games. Uh, uh, first, uh, first person game. I don't, I don't remember how we say it, say it anymore. Uh, but in um, as a, um, um, a shooting games and so on, and you had different segments, and you would play uh, a, a, a very important role in the in the casual games. Um, what's the business model? Um, what's a, how do you make money? Do you make money by uh, fees on 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 
on the advertisement or are, do, do the developers have to pay a, a retainer every month? How, how does it work? So the, um, I, I, again, we, we, we do have three products, but I would try to kind of simplify the whole flow uh, where it can be relevant to the majority of our business. Uh, when a user enters an app um, and is um, engaging with the app and is supposed to, and is entering a page where there is supposed to be an ad, then in the span of around 300 milliseconds, uh, an auction take place, takes place around this user were basically um, based on the App Store ID. Um, advertisers can decide whether they want to engage with that user or not. And when I say advertiser, I am referring to the algorithm of, um, of these advertising platforms that are connected to our exchange, to our online platform, to our marketplace. And these algorithms decide, do I want to bid on having this user see my ad and how much am I willing to bid? The winner gets to serve that ad and actually does serve that ad to that precise user in the span of around 300 milliseconds. So a user might see a very small delay, but there was actually a competition around who would engage with him. And in that point, um, we, uh, we serve hundreds of millions of ads a day, uh, and we, uh, take a revenue share fee from the transaction. So the advertisers pay us on a monthly basis. We pay the publishers on a monthly basis. And, uh, the fee is what actually finances our company, its growth. Um, our employees, uh, our engineering people, more than 50% of our company are engineers, um, and obviously our server costs, which tend to be um, one of the highest um, cost centers of companies such as ourselves. I see. So I went into your, your annual report, and when we look at the revenue and cost of sales, the cost of sales, uh, <clears throat> is it advertisement we're talking about, that you, you pay the advertisers? Or is it uh, the service? What's in the cost of sales? When so your company is currently doing about two hundred million USD last year, uh, and it's growing very fast, very very fast. It's, it's very very impressive. You double the size, more than double the size, um, not double the size roughly in uh, within one year. Um, and you mentioned cost of sales. So from from my better understanding, is advertisement the the money you give back to advertisers cost of sales, or is it the service and so on? I, I was referring in general to the, 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 the cost of maintaining the platform, server costs, uh, R&D development costs. Um, the, the market is moving so fast that one requires that a company needs to invest a lot of money just to maintain the competitiveness of its product, much less to actually create, much less to, to enhance its competitiveness. Uh, which, which is why uh, I mentioned that more than 50% of our company are engineers um, 40% of the company are actually in our R&D department. So um, this is one of our biggest cost centers. Uh, but again, from the point of view of the business model itself, the advertiser pays us and we pay the publisher and we take a revenue share uh, fee in the middle. Got it, got it. Um, I, I, I like to understand, so um, when you work with um, 
with a hub developer. Uh, when are you going to interact with them? At the very beginning, uh, when it's already uh, uh, working? Um, and are you going to uh, supplement them as well in adv advising them on how to monetize, where to put banners, when to open up the videos, and so on? Because that's not their, their job. That's not something they know very well on how to monetize and when to push the, the, the advertisement through which uh, which parameters to push advertisement? Is it because people spend time on it? Is it because people went through different steps within the game and so on? Is it something you are involved in? Is it a sole way for you to engage with them and uh, within the sales process? Well, it's a very good question. And, and in the end, it's, 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 the answer is it's in a case-by-case -case basis because many app developers over the years have become experts on optimizing the yield the, the, the ad related yield uh, because that is how they survive. This is how they, ma they maintain their content as free to the user. And this is how, and this is what allows them to generate more cash in order to develop new apps, in order to promote their old apps, to generate new users, and even in order to maintain the old apps user base due to churn. So these days in the industry, you, can sometimes interact with app developers that have no idea how to monetize and you know we are definitely there to provide them as much information as possible and basically be their consultants and helping them uh, decide where they want to place their ads how they want to place their ads the frequency of the ads um, but at the same time we can also we also have uh, clients who have whole ad operations teams and who actually built and designed a lot of um, features and a lot of technologies in-house that actually enhance their cooperation with us, including um, certain UIs that help them prioritize different ad tech companies such as ourselves and, uh, and uh, additional features that allow them to better understand the churn rate of the users and the users' interactions with the ads. So th there is a whole range. And in the end, our goal is to be able to work with all of them and, and provide them either the technical service they require or a much more comprehensive consultative service if they so need it. I see, I see. Um, <clears throat> so. You, you mentioned three, three solutions. I mean, you mentioned you have different solutions and I know you have three solutions. One is called uh, Fairbid, one is called uh, Fiber Marketplace and the other one is called Fiber's Offer Wall Edge. Um, I, I, I have another confusion here and uh, I think the, the border, the limits of who is doing what is not very uh, always clear and might, might actually have um, different players working on the same field. When um, Facebook is providing ads uh, to pushing his display, uh, when uh, Google is pushing his display, how does it interact with you? They have an, um, they, they have ads to push on an inventory and you manage inventories. Are you working with them or you are skipping them with your own marketplace where, where advertisers can bid directly? My understanding is that both of them could be it. It could go through Google, Facebook, but also directly from the advertisers. So in short, both. Uh, we work with them and we also compete with them. Um, again, Google and Facebook are the dominant players in 
this ecosystem. Uh, the the revenue, the, their share of their market, their combined market share in the in-app ecosystem is around 70%. Uh, having said that, there are certain models where we do work together. So um, first of all, and this is important to stress, there is no one app developer that only works with one ad tech company such as ourselves or Google or Facebook. Uh, even Google or Facebook individually cannot fulfill all of the monetization needs of a publisher. No one network has full global coverage and no one network would choose to interact with all users. As a result, there is always the need to uh, what we would call fill more inventory, to, to, to sell more inventory, to backfill. And there are a number of reasons why publishers choose to work with multiple players, on average between five to 15 at the same time. The first is, and most important, is to maximize competition, to provide diversity, and also to minimize dependence on one specific player, um, especially considering the fact that um, you have an, almost a duopoly in the global um, advertising, mobile advertising ecosystem. Back to your question, uh, how do we work together and compete with each other? Um, two of our key products, um, one is called Fiber Marketplace and one is called Fiber Fairbid. Um, one of them competes um, with other networks and the other works with them. And I'll explain quickly how they work. Fiber Marketplace is an independent auction that, as I described before, allows the publisher to maximize his yield and generate ad-related revenue. We have another product called Fiber Fairbid, and Fiber Fairbid allows the publisher to mediate and prioritize all of the players he works with. So, in other words, um, because each player works with, each app developer works with five to 15 different players, he needs to figure out how to prioritize them, how to decide who gets what, um, who is at the top of the line, um, who gets you know, the first look at the inventory. And so our second product, Fiber Fairbid, allows the publisher to actually prioritize who are the, you know, who are the networks that come first based on real-time data, based on historical performance data. And so under Fiber Fairbit, actually, Google and Facebook can connect through our adapter and, in, and with, with the app developer. And so Fiber Fairbit can prioritize them while Fiber Marketplace competes with them depending on which business model the app developer decides to work with us on. I see. I see. I, I, I thank you for the for the explanation. It's much more clear now. So you have this fair bid, which is a very good name that you get a fair price for your bid, get a fair price for your display, and you are here to maximize the feed advertisement coming from Google, from Facebook, and from others, but also yours through your marketplace, where advertisers could contact with you directly, and and you would push 
uh, their bid and their content within the inventory uh, you have access to. There's a third product, which is Fibers Offer Wall Edge, if I'm correct, right? What, what is it about? <clears throat> so the, the offer wall is, is, is a bit different. And uh, I, I and so in in short, the offer wall is not really a platform that serves ads. It's more of an additional feature that app developers can add to their apps if they have a strong virtual currency element within their game. It can be diamonds, it can be gold coins. Everyone who's played uh, who's who's played game apps in the past will know what I'm talking about. Um, so. In order to generate virtual currency, people either watch ads or they acquire them. Um, the offer wall allows a user to earn his virtual currency. Uh, a user enters our offer wall, which is actually a wall, uh, a feed with certain offers. Um, fill in this survey, um, download this app and reach level five. On the other side of the offer wall are advertisers that actually set a certain event for the user to engage with their ad, with their survey, with their app. If a user finishes that task, he receives a certain amount of virtual currency. Our offer wall includes dozens of quote unquote offers. A user can choose which one to complete based on its difficulty level and based on the reward he or she is supposed to receive. Uh, once they finish it, they receive that virtual currency reward. Uh, the offer was very different from ad-based monetization as it, uh, in many cases, an advertiser is an app developer that would like the user to engage with the ad. Here, the user actually doesn't only engage with the ad, but it downloads the app and even plays with it. And so the, the advantage here is that the advertiser can actually set a certain event where he or she knows will maximize the chances that the user gets engaged with their product. And in return, they promise the user a certain virtual currency in the original app ecosystem that he or she is playing with. So I, I hope I was clear. I, I, I will understand why it's a bit confusing. Now it's very clear. Thank, thank you very much. But that shows also that within the app environment in app, you have display headers you have videos you have also uh, uh, your own currency and the advertisers can play with all those tools so that makes all the more complex to manage this inventory of opportunities to to advertise um and does it does it make sense because it's a lot of, of also of behaviors of how to interact um, again, is it based on time? Is it based on reward, as you just described? Uh, is it based on different steps within the game and so on? And that creates a lot of different opportunities. You mentioned um, uh, in, in your report uh, at Fiverr that uh, people who are gamers tend to spend more, tend to be more engaged with advertisement when they play game. Uh, and, and, and that's a very, very specific area to advertise. So it's very interesting to see how you address uh, those, those, those topics with indeed even one specific solution uh, in, in this case. So sorry, could you, could you um, and, and that's you very interesting. your question? That's very interesting. Oh, it's just, just an assessment of, of uh, how interesting this, this field is where you can have a very specific proxy 
to uh, engage with the audience, where within the game, people are much more engaged. I, I, have, I have a question linked to, linked to China, um, still in outbound. Um, we talked a lot about TikTok last year. Is TikTok considered as well uh, as a provider of advertisement, uh, as an advertiser like Google and Facebook now? Do you, can you plug as well some advertisement from, from TikTok or they have not developed this kind of service? So, so yes and yes, uh, and I'll explain. So, so TikTok actually developed their own, uh, what you would call ad network early on. Uh, I believe it was called TikTok Audience Network originally, very similar to Facebook's platform called Facebook Audience Network, and that's not a coincidence. Um, and they built their ad platform early on. It was renamed Pangle. It's also recently uh, connected to our online marketplace, and they are one of our um, one of our bidders, one of our programmatic buyers um, that actually serve ads to our users, to the users of the apps that we represent. They've engaged in a very similar business model as Facebook, and and we believe that they're trying to emulate Facebook's long term. They they have long term plans to emulate Facebook's long term strategy. Interesting. I see. So actually, that's that has certainly changed a little bit your positioning within China with your office. I understood that your main target was to work with app developers or app uh, app developers and, and game more specifically, uh, which are in China to target foreign audience overseas. But now here, you even have players who can provide you with advertisement which are based in China, headquartered in China, like TikTok, and maybe others are going to emerge. So that has also changed your, your, your perspective in China, not only to find clients of yours uh, as de app developers, but also maybe advertisers too. So yes, I, 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 I'll, I'll explain a bit of our China out model because I, I'm sure. sure that many of your listeners have already heard about it before in relation to maybe different industries. In our industry, this is related to uh, Chinese app developers whose business is partly, mostly, or fully global. In other words, they develop products for global users in Japan, in the US, in Europe, in Indonesia, and in Australia. Uh, and they monetize these users with global ads. So in essence, the only thing Chinese about these apps is the company that developed it. But if you look at the content of the app, it would be in English, it would be in Japanese, it would not be in Chinese. The reason we focus on this segment is that working within the local Chinese ecosystem uh, for, programmatically for a foreign company is incredibly hard. Very few companies have attempted that and even less have succeeded in that. The reason is one, the great firewall, which means that any attempt to engage, to have a local user engage with a global ad or a local ad engage with the global users, if there isn't an, a very intensive investment in infrastructure and technology taking place before would be impossible due to the lag and and due to data points getting um, messed up by having to go through the firewall. The second reason is the lack of Google Play in the local market. Um, Google Play is the mechanism that allows advertisers to engage with users, the Google Play ID. 
Um, and the third is unique ad formats. The fourth being uh, very strict um, policy on licensing new apps, new games. Um, and the last reason being a lot of limitations on ad creatives in the market. As a result, it's not only that we decided to focus on Chinese app developers going global, but there's much more of an incentive for local app developers in China to build their whole business being China out rather than, for example, UK app developers, the US app developers that are much more prone to first start by uh, working within their local market that they know best. I understand. Um, I hope I answered your question here. Yeah. Oh, it, really? It, good, good. Sorry, I, I, did, I did forget to mention TikTok. So local advertising platforms can also have that same notion. So because TikTok has so many global users, it wishes to engage with them as well. And so the way we work with TikTok's advertising platform is they have servers outside of the firewall and they have advertisers outside of the firewall, Japanese advertisers, uh, Korean advertisers, Russian advertisers, and they connect to our platform in order to engage with the users uh, of the apps that we represent from the publisher side. Got it, got it. Thank you for the, the transition to what this big topic, which is China outbound. So um, to give um, a, a broader perspective um, and uh, to, to use examples that people would all know, Google is not available in China. Facebook is not available in China. Uh, Twitter is not available in China, but they have offices in China. And the reason is that they do like you do, they sell outbound advertisement. They directly sell outbound on their own advertisement on their own platform, but they serve the same purpose to sell to, to uh, overseas uh, uh, people or companies, uh, if it's B2B or B2C. And this is uh, an industry which is, um, um, I don't know if you have numbers, but my, my rough estimation would be that we talk about 10, 10, 20 billion USD uh, market for advertisement going outside of China. Um, and that's very specific because actually of the censorship that those players are not able to, to, uh, um, to work here in China. So that's what we call uh, the outbound. That's very, very specific to China, I, I feel. Uh, do you have the same, the same feeling? Yes, I, I, I'd say that if China outbound was a country, then its market size would probably globally be only second to the whole of the US in-app programmatic advertising app, in-app market. Wow, wow. And the second aspect, which is also more um, specific in this industry is that the way of advertising in the West is very different from the way of advertising in China where it's more, lots about marketplaces, where in the West you have still a lot of independent websites. Uh, programmatic is not as developed in, 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 in China as it is in the West. And you have many more opportunities in the West to, to diversify on different websites and so on than in China where you have those giants of marketplaces. So the way you advertise for Chinese companies is certainly also a new learning to go overseas and you are part of those actors, players, helping those companies uh, to, to, to go overseas um, and, and to do outbound advertising. So, so that said, 
Chinese companies, um, for a lot of uh, tech companies overseas, uh, for a lot of people outside of China, it seems um, a huge opportunity, but extremely difficult to, to access to. So how did you do? You, you, you have a footprint now in China, you are recruiting, you are growing. Um, how did you make it happen? So I, 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 I think that if one of the key um, ways one can, um, can succeed in the Chinese market, and I'm speaking maybe mostly from the point of view of our company, but it can relate to many others, is obviously localization. And I hope I'm not saying something too obvious, but um, localizing the team, localizing the engineers, localizing the service, being culturally sensitive, adapting one's business model to accommodate uh, for local best practices. I will say that what is different with us is that um, one of our strategies in China was at least from a technology product point of view, not to localize anything and to limit ourselves to the segment of the market where we can maintain our competitiveness. And that is the China out segment. And I believe one of the reasons for a success is that we localized our services, but maintained our product that is most relevant to the China out segment. Focusing on this segment, this is where I believe we achieved success. The other uh, reason is that uh, recent product investment in enhancing uh, video and full screen ad serving capabilities uh, was incredibly beneficial for our business with uh, Chinese game developers that have a global user base because of their focus on video rather than banner advertising. And as a result, since June 2020, we have experienced uh, double-digit monthly growth in our revenue. And we haven't seen that really slow down since. From China, more specifically. Correct. Yes. Wow. So it, it, I really like your perspective on, on the fact that for Chinese app developers, it's important to be overseas. You mentioned the different reasons. First, it, it, you have more creatives, more different kinds of ads. You don't have the license limit. And we remember in 2018, end of 2018, the government stopped giving licenses to create games, even to Tencent. So during a few months, there was no new game in China. And so what do you do with all those developers you have You have in China? You could redirect them to, 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 to build games for overseas, right? And, and so that's key, strategically speaking, for those for those app developers to, to balance the markets. Um, and also the fact that programmatic is much more difficult without a Google Play ID uh, to have this, uh, to, to, to target, because Google is, is offering this data for the advertisement to target the, the, the people they want to target uh, and the data they, 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 in order to, to, to target them, to, uh, to, to profile them. So it, it, it's very interesting for me to have this perspective uh, to um, to see how strategic it is uh, for Chinese app developers to be overseas, because from a developer in China, China is already very big. Why going overseas when you have such a big market? But yes, there is a strategic um, uh, positioning here. Um, what is 
what would be the, the decision-making process for a Chinese company uh, before working with you? Uh, I believe working with you is a, would be a, a big decision for them. They are going to put your SDK, they are going to put code from you in their app, uh, in their core business. That's not something which is easy to take as a decision. Uh, and you are going to be responsible for the monetization. So have you found some patterns of decision-making process in China, whether it is different from the West, and that might link, be linked to the localization you mentioned, the business model you said you changed a little bit, and I'm very curious to know what aspect you changed. Well, I'd say that the three keys to success with Chinese app developers are one, trust, uh, two, uh, product competitiveness, and three, uh, word to mouth. So app developers tend to see what their competition, who their competition is working with, uh, who are the key players, the go-to players, the default players that they work with. And uh, the, the, this normally means that when a ad tech company enters the Chinese market, it is by the way true for all markets, but even more in China from what we've experienced, the first stages of one's business development Tend, tend to be the hardest. Once you successfully start working with some key players, once you've successfully proven that your product is competitive and provides uh, incremental revenue increase to their business, and once you've established a strong connection of trust that includes good service, transparency, um, communication, at that point, it becomes much easier and much faster to start working with additional players. In the past year, we have reached a point where we are uh, the default player to work with, with most app developers that are either beginning, um, their beginning their global business, starting their global business, or adding new apps. And so I'm, I'm happy to say that we have reached that stage. I see. Interesting to say that it's word of mouth. Uh, so basically, when you have a good product in China, you're able to be to build trust through transparency, as far as I understand. And transparency is a big word in the advertisement uh, industry, right? Uh, it's because it's difficult to, uh, to, to give full transparency of what's happening, especially with programmatic and such a fast, um, fast bidding system. Um, with, with that, the word of mouth works for you. That's the third pillar you were saying. Trust, word of mouth, competitiveness of product. Good product, you build trust through a few elements like transparency, and then the word spread in, in the market. And so far, you have been busy to address those requests of inbound coming to you because of this word of mouth, if I'm correct. Yeah, that is correct, yes. Um, what, what the business model have changed? What have you changed in the business model? Well, in 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 many cases, we um, well specifically in relation to China, we didn't necessarily change the business model. I'd say that we changed the way that we work with our clients. So we have a much higher proportion of local Chinese engineers working at Fiber that um, provide the client much closer service and support. There are many companies who have their whole engineering teams outside of the region, and uh, there is that. And and one of the 
things that we emphasize is providing that close technical support, technical consultancy. We have our engineering team actually visit our clients, sit with their tech teams, help them implement new features, help them integrate our code, make sure to debug any potential problems that might arise. Uh, I, 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 maybe I wouldn't call that necessarily a business model, rather uh, yeah. an enhanced service model. Because oh, I see. many Chinese companies tend to try and develop their own proprietary technologies to, to work together with, um, with Google, with Facebook, with us. This can provide them some benefits, but it also creates additional challenges from a technical point of view, because then it means that working with these clients is less of a standardized business model than working with, for example, clients from Japan or from the US that tend to focus less on building their own proprietary advertising related technologies or support technologies. And so this is where um, closer work with our tech teams and more attention given can not only um, provide a superior uh, product, superior results, but also much better service and thus a much better reputation in the market. I see, I see. Um, there's another top friction that uh, could happen between China and the rest of the world is currency exchange. I'm very curious if that's a friction for you because in some way you are collecting money for them through the Tizer, which are in the West. They are based in China. Uh, they are transacting for the currency. You have limitation, you have control. Um, how, how does it work all this? Is it a friction you had to address? You had to change a bit your product because of that? Or actually, is that something which is easy to solve? I don't, I don't see how easy, how easy it is, but it's easier than what I think, maybe. Interestingly enough, um, all of our advertisers actually pay us in US dollars, okay. regardless of uh, country. So um, Chinese advertisers, um, would pay in US dollars as well. Chinese publishers would receive payment in US dollars. In many cases there, they will set up um, entities and bank accounts in Hong Kong or in Singapore. And this is also a strategy of theirs to maintain a business in, with a global currency. I see. So that's this not is a big a, issue. Is something it's not only not a big issue, it's, 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 it's preferable for Chinese app developers to have that. And I'm sure this was covered uh, by you guys in many other industries uh, as to why that is the case. Mm. Mm. Let's talk about um, present day and the future. Um, we should be at the end of a major crisis in the world for some players, uh, not for everyone. And I believe for you, it was not that a crisis last year. Uh, but the pandemics. And so I like to know how did the pandemics affect you? It seems your numbers are very good. So people spend more time on, on, on games, spend more time online, and maybe that's been very beneficial to you, but I like to hear from you. Well, I, I'd, I'd say from a personal pers point of view and, and also my team's point of view, it's been a very tough year. If we look at the business specifically, um, I would say that it's, been uh, quote unquote helpful overall. Now that really depends on the on which vertical you look at within our ecosystem. 
do more users play with apps? Yes. Do they engage more with ads? Correct. So you would say the inventory pool is larger. Um, from an advertiser point of view, obviously, if the advertiser is an app developer, they would have more users that they could engage with. So obviously, the in-app ecosystem has grown. But brand advertisers suffered a lot. Brand advertisers that represented physical products tended to suffer much more. And I believe there was a 30 to 40% drop in brand ad spend over the course of 2020. That did negatively impact part of our monetization um, ecosystem, if you'd call it that. But overall, it did grow. Yeah, your numbers again, 2019 over 2022 over 2019 is um, yeah something like 80% growth, right, uh, worldwide. So it, it grew Correct. in a very substantial way, but maybe because of what you did internally and your reorganization, and we know that you have reorganized the team over the last uh, three or four years as a company, that may be also the results uh, of this reorganization and not only the circumstances of the pandemics. Uh, yes, definitely. I mean, the, 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 the pandemic, uh, I mean, saying helped is, is incredibly cynical, so I won't use that term, but... Uh, the pandemic did grow the market, but Fiverr's growth had been significantly faster than the average growth of the market. And uh, it is both due to the reorganization of Fiverr, and you know, maybe I can say, you know, maybe I can mention some background. We used to be four separate companies. We needed to merge them. We needed to merge the finance teams, the marketing teams, uh, the vision of the company, uh, the product teams. Uh, and, and that took a lot of time. That, that was finished at the end of 2019, at which point we shifted our investment to becoming a top player in video. Uh, and so over the course of 2020, our growth in video uh, monetization or monetization with video ads was more than 1,000%. And this was the key contributor to um, the growth of the company in general through the year, throughout the year. When we talk about video, you talk about the video you display within the app as an advertisement. How long is it, for instance, a typical video? It can be 30 seconds. It can be up to a minute. It really depends on the video. It depends on the preference of the, of the app developer. App developers, okay. a longer video maximizes the, uh, can, can raise the uh, engagement rate of the user with that video, can provide more interesting content, can, um, Having said that, it can also annoy the users. So an app developer always needs to balance between uh, maximizing ad-based revenue to making sure that it doesn't impact the user experience. Mm. That's a very good transition to 5G, video and 5G. Uh, with 5G, we will certainly be able to consume much more videos. We will be able to download new apps also. So what we call the IPM, installed per million, per 1,000. Could be uh, could go much higher in the in the coming future. Where are we now with five G? Um, it seems that uh, it's deployed in China. Uh, not sure it's fully at its full capacity. Uh, what what about other countries and what 
could it become when it's fully deployed? Uh, we believe that 5G will impact mobile gaming more than anything else. Uh, a faster and more diverse gaming experience will also mean opportunities for advertisers. Uh, for example, incredibly faster app download speeds could increase the potential for conversion. Uh, a user will have the option to move faster uh, from the time where they view the creative of an ad to the download itself. And once the user knows that there is no wait time, we believe they will be much more likely to engage with the ad, to download it. Uh, it also means, 5G would also mean less limits to the creative complexity and layers. It would unlock creative opportunities that could result in a much more immersive experience. And um, what also uh, in, impact we could, we could see, you, you, you mentioned uh, cloud gaming in the preparation, you mentioned about other, other ways, not only the advertisement itself, but also the way uh, uh, people uh, uh, use those, those game game apps what 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 do you see more more specifically so we understand that people could download faster could consume heavier content like videos what about uh, all the bigger change uh, that 5d could bring that could be the platform for you to build on well i i would say that that what i mentioned before would probably be the key the key um elements of 5g that would influence the um, ad monetization market the most. Obviously, okay. 5G can positively impact games as well. It can allow um, much easier streaming of games, playing streamed games without having to download them, and obviously uh, allow better streaming of uh, VR and, and, uh, and, um, and MMORPGs as well. Uh, but I also have to stress that I'm not an expert on, on this uh, segment, as this, the segment of these games is that, that actually requires that level of, of uh, uh, hardware um, is actually games that tend not to serve ads at all, but they tend to be pay-to-play, subscription, or in-app purchase games. Basically, your, your answer is giving me an, an, an uh, also a perspective that it, it's still not mainstream. It's, it has not changed industry yet. If you if if you don't have this kind of, of of elements to share, it hasn't yet impacted our industry much. But when it does, uh, it will allow users to engage with ads more easily, knowing that any engagement would be immediate and would not require lag or waiting time, download waiting time. So that, in essence, would mean that the quote-unquote price of engaging with an ad, of downloading the app that is promoted by the ad, would be that much simpler. And so it could uh, enhance the ecosystem. Uh, the applications for 5G are obviously much, much wider than, than the ad monetization uh, part of it. Uh, but unfortunately, I'm not a great expert on, on, yeah. on the other um on, on on the other elements of 5g for sure uh for sure it will, it will it will it will have a lot of consequences beyond beyond advertisement um i'd like to add the questions uh we, we we are toward the end of the of the discussion i'd like to ask the question before on your previous experience uh you you have worked in china for a while uh you have worked in uh tuna as well 
which was um, a foreign-funded uh, company and successfully uh, got acquired by Sina and went to IPO afterwards. Um, how do you analyze the success of Trinar uh, in, in, in a very, very competitive um, competitive landscape at the time already? So I, I, I'd say Chunar, um, Chunar, grew, Chunar was partially foreign invested. It was also invested by Baidu, um, which became their majority shareholder. Um, I, I, I believe that they actually made a business decision that was maybe similar to Fiber's business decision, which is they chose to compete in an ecosystem where they did not actually have much competition. Their main competitor was Citrip, uh, which afterwards ended up acquiring them. But at the time, the um, Chunar had one big competitor in the market. Um, there was also Elong, which I think is a long forgotten advertising platform um, for people who maybe arrived in the country in the last five years. Um, but the, the key difference between Chunar and, and Ctrip and Elong was that they were not an online travel agency. They were uh, an online travel meta search, more similar to Hitchhiker and Kayak. And in that specific vertical, they had no competition in the market. So as a meta search, most of what they did was provide the user uh, multiple results from more than a dozen online travel agencies for every specific booking they have. So for example, if you would choose to uh, book a flight from Beijing to Chengdu at 4.30 p.m. on the 3rd of August, they would provide a dozen options from different online travel agencies, including the different services they provide and take a very small fee. So their profit margin was tiny, but their scale was immense. And this is where many users preferred to work with them because they could get all the information they needed in one platform uh, that was incredibly transparent and where the platform only took a very small service fee from the whole, um, from, from the whole process. And, and this has resulted in them growing by, I believe, triple digits over the course of four or five years. That's impressive. And that, that's a very good learning, actually. When you're in China, start to find your niche uh, to be able to compete the less you, you, you can uh, to, to, to get a, a footprint within the market. Um, thanks. Thanks very much for, for speaking the time. Uh, you are, and um, I hope you. I, I enjoyed very much the talk. I hope you you did, um, and I hope everyone listening to us did enjoy too. How did you like it? I I, I must say it was a very enjoyable experience, and uh, likewise, Matthew. Uh, thank you for having me, and uh, I hope our viewers enjoyed uh, our talk as well. And I hope I was clear enough in uh, presenting how our industry actually works. You were, you were. Uh, thank you very much for, for this help, this, those perspectives. It's a very, very interesting um, um, field to be in, uh, this outbound advertising and supporting those Chinese companies going overseas and penetrating uh, all the markets. That, that's growing. That's a very, very uh, interesting industry. Thanks again for being with us today.